0: Welcome, my name is Isaiah, and I am one of the pastors here, and today I would love to give you a pop quiz. Now, I know some of you are like, wait a second, wait, this is church, this is not school, I didn't sign up for this. You start feeling the, the blood pressure rise, you know, you start sweating a little bit, don't worry, it's, it's okay. It's not school. It's three simple questions. Uh, it's a three assessment questions that I, I want you guys to think about, just for a moment, and, and, and it's all about you, so you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to think hard, it's just you, okay? So first question is this, what are you known for? All right, maybe, the, maybe you are into hobbies, maybe you uh, work in a certain field. What are you known for? Secondly, what characteristics define you? What would people say? What would you say? And then third, are you recommendable? If you had a Yelp review for your person, right? What would they say? Would you have three stars, four stars, five stars, or maybe below? What would they say about you? Are you recommendable? Now, as you know, it can be really tempting to write down all the really positive things and answers to these sorts of questions, but how would one of your friends answer these questions? How about a family member? So as you continue to think about it, maybe you're writing something down, let me share with you how my eight-year-old daughter answered these questions for me. So watch this video. My dad is known for being a helper at church. One characteristic that describes my dad is that he wears all black. My dad is recommendable because he helps me in softball. When answering questions about ourselves, it's, it's very easy to think about the greatest hits, right? I mean, it's, it's hard not to just think that way. What are you known for? Well, I'm kind of a nice guy. You know, I'm pretty decent. You know, I love most people. I tend to recycle most days. And I usually put others before myself. And, but what I should say before I answer a question like that is... I tend to be an habitual liar. Uh, you know I maybe I tend to be a bit of an exaggerator. In fact, sometimes I've been known to lie and cheat my way through board games, which is why no one wants to play with me. But, but that's because that's probably a little bit more accurate, right? I mean, at least for is for me. But but here's another question. OK, so do you guys have standards? Of course you do. Right. We, we all have standards when it comes to even the food decisions that we make. Right. You know, we, when it comes to a slice of pizza, No one says, hmm, Little Caesars sounds really good today. They're not the gold standard of pizza. I mean, because they're barely above a piece of cardboard, right? And, and, And I understand it's inexpensive, which is why you're willing to lower your standards to eat one of those pizzas, right? No one says, I'm really craving a gourmet slice of pizza. Oh, Little Caesars. Never. That doesn't happen. Or how about if you want a good quality burger, right? You're you're not headed to McDonald's, okay? You're just not. And if that's the case, again, I'm not saying we won't lower our standards from time to time because, you know, I get it. Sometimes we're desperate. There's nothing else around. But given time to think reasonably and maybe even consciously, we 're never going to morally choose mcdonald 's right it 's not the ethical decision uh, now I get it if you 're offended at all that I use little Caesars or McDonald's as an example for bad food, I completely understand my taste buds were bland too when I was young, and I, I understand what that what you know what that, my, that feeling of going to those restaurants kind of stirs up but but the day that I felt this food literally literally shaving years off my life, that was the moment I went this is not of the Lord like this is not this is not good for our, our bodies. But my point on all that is to draw your attention to the fact that we all have standards no matter what. We have standards for food, we have standards for for movies that we watch, for TV shows, for music, for friends, for the language we use, for what's right and what's wrong. But to be honest, some of our standards aren't necessarily good. In fact, I I think if we're willing to lower our standards for the food that we eat, we're probably willing to lower them or even just completely be off when it comes to relationships or or just the way that we live our life. My question for us to wrestle with today is whose standards are we choosing to live by? Is it yours? Is it other people? Or is it God's standard? Today we're going to Explore and discover some things about a pretty important person in the book of 1 Samuel as we continue our Kingdom in Chaos series. And his name is David. But we're not going to get too much into David's story as much as we're going to dive into why David was chosen to be the future king of Israel. I'm going to take a wild guess. And say that most of us aren't fond of rejection. Like, no one goes, huh, rejection, sign me up. Like In fact, I think our fear of rejection has caused us to make certain decisions in our life that have prevented us from truly living maybe the life that God has called us to live. I I know that we are biologically wired with a longing to belong to something. Most of us don't want to be seen in a critical way. We try to avoid feelings of of being cut off or or being demeaned or or isolated or alone. Because maybe these feelings might confirm our biggest worry, which is that we're unlovable or of little value and worth. I've worked with with middle school, high school, college students for a long time. And I, and I, I can say with at least my experience, almost all of them have this fear of rejection even the ones that are really really confident in in fact they're they're oftentimes trying to mask their fear of rejection by trying to be overly confident but the truth is so do most adults on the contrary we, we love being chosen right i mean who doesn't like to be chosen for something especially if it brings prestige and accolades, recognition. We all love to be rewarded with raises, right? And praises, right? Those are the things that we love to hear. Who doesn't like to be told that they're an asset to a team? And you know, we'd like to recognize your efforts by paying you more or, or promoting you to a leadership position, giving you more responsibility. We all love this type of feeling. It validates our, our hard work and our diligence, but the problem is that this stuff is subjective. It just is. Because we've probably all been overlooked for a job or, or some sort of award that we probably deserved. I remember my, being my son's age, he's 12, and I was playing baseball. And although I wasn't the best player uh, in, in our league, I, I was certainly worthy of an all-star selection, at least in my mind. Well, my peers voted, and they voted for lots of their friends, and, and I didn't make the cut. So even though I felt like I was worthy, I probably did enough to be able to make a team like that. My peers didn't see it that way, nor did some of the coaches on the team, since they didn't even choose me for a coach's pick, which I'm, I'm not bitter. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't there, wasn't what they were looking for, which is what I'm trying to say. My point is that we all know how it feels to be rejected by people, and we all know what it feels to be chosen as well. But do we understand that neither of those standards really matter? The only standard that means anything in our life, and should mean anything, is how God sees us. So let's read 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to begin in verse 1, and we'll read all the way to verse 13. So stay with me. I know it's a a large text, so I'll try to get through it, and we'll break it down a little bit. Okay, let's begin in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Saul is the current king. Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. "'Invite Jesse to that sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. "'You are to anoint me, anoint for me the one I indicate.' "'And Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, "'the elders of the town trembled when they met him. "'They asked, "'Do you come in peace?' "'And Samuel replied, "'Yes, in peace. "'I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. "'Consecrate yourselves, and come to the sacrifice with me.' "'Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice.' When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, "Nor has the Lord chosen this one." Jesse had 7 of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to them, said to him, "The Lord has not chosen these." So he asked Jesse, "Are these all the sons you have?" "There is still the youngest," Jesse answered. "He is tending sheep." Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Okay. Okay. So most of us have probably heard of the English idiom, you can't judge a book by its cover. Most of us nod our head in agreement, yeah, sure, oh yeah, yeah. this is so true, right? I mean, we've, we, we've experienced this before, you just, you just never know. But most of us totally judge books by the cover. I mean, that's, that's what we do. Like, the thing about this phrase is that it typically applies to bad covers, like like that American idol singer who who looks or who who sounds like and sings like Whitney Houston, but looks like me. You would never think it, right? You'd go, "Whoa, what what the heck is going on? Where's that voice coming from? But this phrase also applies to the opposite. And in this case, that's exactly what's happening here. Saul was a man of great aptitude and great resources. Well, while, while David was just this small kid tending sheep someone really of no consequence at all. But the crux of this story is that God looks at the heart, not at outward appearance. And David was a man after God's own heart. So let's get into that. Let's look back at verse one, and I'll read it again. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn of oil with oil and be on your way, and I'm sending you to to Jesse in Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And God said so God says here in this in this setting, Samuel, stop wasting your time. I've got great things for you to do. You're one of you're one of my guys. I need you right here. This the, the time for mourning is over. It's time to do for me something new. Samuel's certainly saddened by, by King Saul and, and his falling away from God. He, he's in turmoil. He, he's experiencing a little bit of chaos because he doesn't know what to do. And he's also kind of afraid of of Saul. So he, he can feel the chaos that's uprising right now. But God is telling him, don't worry. I got you. I got this situation. I have a plan. I have a plan. Just follow my lead. In the verses that follow, we see three standards that were used in selecting this new king, David. Two of them belong to human beings. The third one belongs to God. So I want to explore just those three standards, okay? The first standard was Samuel's standard, and that was appearance. Look at verse 6 and 7. It says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. It's so obvious. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Eliab was Jesse's. Oldest son, so Davis, David's eldest brother. And when Samuel saw Eliab, he thought, oh, this is definitely the guy. It's got to be him. Based on what, though, right? Based on what? His appearance? He was obviously, a, you know, it says a good looking guy and probably who Samuel pictured as, I mean, an obvious king. Well, Saul had some of the same characteristics as well. I mean, if we go back in chapter 9, verse 2, it says this about Saul it says, Kish had a son named Saul. As handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. That's quite the uh, title. And he was a head taller than anyone else. That sounds like a lot like Eliab. Like, but in our, in our passage, God says, don't consider this stuff. Don't consider his appearance. Don't consider his stature for I have rejected him as king. And for all the vertically challenged people, we say, amen, right? That, that's, you know, Samuel made the same mistake that he made with Saul. He looked at him outwardly. It's just the human thing that we do, isn't it? Like, that's, that's what we do. Human beings are, are appearance-oriented. And when we meet a person, we make a judgment. It, it sounds, it sounds kind of shallow when you say it out loud, because it is. It is shallow, but it doesn't mean we don't still do it to some degree. Some, some more than others, for sure. I know you've been probably a part of a group of people and someone makes a judgment about another person just based on the way they look. And if, if you haven't, then, well, then it's likely you. You're the one doing it, right? You're the one that's happening to. Uh, but it just happens. It doesn't mean it's, it's right. In fact, that's the entire point of this passage. It's not right because it's not what makes someone more valuable. Or more worthy. But in order for us to understand what God wants, we first have to admit that we're prone to choosing things based on appearance. That's how it is. That's how we are. And it's not necessarily the standard that we need to live by. In fact, Proverbs 31, verse 30, it says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Charm is deceitful. It can be deceitful and beauty can be vain. I mean, why do you think that the reality-based dating shows, they never work? Like, sure, they're, they're good-looking, they're rich, they're ridiculously fit, they, their teeth are whiter than snow, but how many of those relationships turn out to be good relationships? Not many. Okay, so that's the first standard. Second standard is Jesse's standard, and his standard was age. Look at verse 11. It says, Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And Jesse replied, There's still one laugh, the youngest. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, Send word and bring him because we will not sit down to eat this sacrificial meal until he comes here. So when I was thinking about this situation, I thought, it's kind of messed up, like I mean, come on, it. Why did Jesse leave David out of this special ceremony? I mean, they, they brought everybody together, <clears throat> it's this big old sacrificial ceremony, and they didn't even invite David. Like, come on, dad, like, what's up with that? <clears throat> They're all gathered at this special anointing ceremony, and David wasn't even included. I don't know, I, I don't know if you've ever felt left out. I mean, that I mean, this is like the epitome of being left out. I mean, even when Samuel is like you have anyone else? Like, is there any other, are there any other sons? Jesse is like, well, I have my youngest son who's taking care of the sheep, but you can't mean him. He doesn't even say his name. Like, he, that tells you what Jesse thinks of him compared to the other sons. Do you, I don't know. Do you, do you have siblings? I have two. I have a sister and I have a brother. My wife has four brothers. And we grew up navigating sibling rivalries, as you do. But, but I'm a true middle child. Now, I don't know if there's any middle children out there. Cool. If you're there, I see you. Even if you're online, I see you. I'm starting an exclusive middle child support group. Uh, don't worry. Carol will be there. We'll get all our therapy needs. And, uh, and if some of you are like, is this a joke because I really need this? I'm here for you. I, like I said, I understand. But, but if you grew up with siblings, then you know that, that birth order affects the way that you grow up. And you, kids grow up with the same parents but they don't always get treated the same way. I mean, I think parents try. I think Me as a, my own, maybe being a parent myself, I try the best I can, but it is different. In this case, David's not, not the oldest, but in fact, he's the youngest, the baby boy. Chances are, he was often lo- overlooked, especially in a day and age where the firstborn was of most importance. David was likely overlooked his entire life especially in a family with that many older brothers. Now, I do want to take notice here, though, because not only did David get overlooked by Jesse, but what was David doing? He was tending sheep. Whose sheep? Jesse's sheep. Now, I don't know if there are any shepherds with us today. If you're a shepherd, awesome. But if you didn't know this then, being a shepherd wasn't some badge of honor. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, so much prestige, so much accolade. No, it, it, in fact, it was the lowest position you could have that entailed so much hard work and mundane tasks that often left you isolated from everyone else. Some of you are like, <clears throat> some of you know kind of like what, what this is like. It, it's you didn't start in, an, in a nice office job uh, that maybe you have now. You didn't always have the luxury from working from home or being remote, maybe running your own company. Uh, you had to put in the work. You had to do the mundane things to, in the beginning. And you, you might have had to do it even begrudgingly at times. But truthfully, it helped make you who you are today. So if we know that Samuel's standard of appearance isn't good, if we know that Jesse's standard of age is not good, well, then what is? Look at verse 7. It says, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What is God talking about here? Is he talking about his sensitive spirit? Is he he talking about David's kind heart? No. He's he's not talking about how, you know, how good David is. He's, He's speaking about the spiritual heart, the very core or the essence of who a person is down deep inside. Look at verse 14. It says of chapter 13, so we'll go back a little few chapters, and this is what God talks to Saul about. This is what he says to Saul. He says this, But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. See, unfortunately, Saul was not a man after God's own heart. Saul had become very prideful. Saul was in it for Saul. And on the contrary, David wanted what God wanted, which was for God to get all the glory. David wasn't about being a good person. He wasn't about making sure he was known for for being a hard worker and reliable. I mean, we tell some of our kids to be this way, right? Be known for the one, the first one to get up in the morning, the first one to put the effort in. Be known as a reliable, trustworthy person. Like that's the focus. Like his his focus, David. David's focus wasn't just to be a good son, to be a good worker. He wasn't concerned about any of those things that we find ourselves oftentimes teaching and even struggling with today. David's desire was simple, and it was this. He wanted to be someone who followed God's heart, chased after it, wanted what God wanted. Even according to 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, it records that David inquired of the Lord about nine different times. Those are just the times that that are recorded when it came to making major decisions in his life as well as the life of the nation of Israel. So David would frequently seek the Lord's counsel and and his direction. He always did that. He always sought it. He always asked to know God's will. And each time he inquired, the Lord graciously gave him a clear and definitive answer. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, I believe it's important for us to understand that the reason David inquired of the Lord, the reason he sought God's counsel and direction, the reason he was anointed as the future king of Israel was because he was a man— after prayer a man after relationship with god like that was that was the most important thing his heart desired a relationship with god above all else he didn't seek to discover what was on his heart what are my dreams what are my aspirations you know what what what's on my agenda what what are the things on my to-do list no he was a man after God's heart. And where do you think that he learned that? Well, he learned that tending sheep. He learned that in the mundane and the difficult work of tending sheep that was, that you know, that were really matters in this life is a heart that's seeking after God. I think in a way, if we were to sum that up as, you're, as a parent, you'd say, that's all I really want for my kids. I... You know that the accolades, you know that the awards, you know that the prestige, like that stuff, sure it makes you feel good, but that's not the core of why you do what you do. You want your child to be someone who loves God more than anything else because all the other stuff is just extra. And if it doesn't happen, it's okay because his heart is good. His heart is after God. Hes't not concerned about appearance. Not concerned about age, not concerned about wealth, not concerned about how white their teeth look, right, on TV. Just the heart. That's all that God wants. See, we are human, and that's okay. We, that's totally fine. It's not like a, I mean, we have a value. God, God, is, God has placed his image within us and upon us. Like, that, is, that speaks volumes about value and worth. But yet we're still tempted every single day to look at the things, the external things, the outer things, the covers, the shell. So whether it's appearance or age or skill or talent, personal preference, that it's going to be a challenge and temptation for all of us. But what God is after and looking for is one thing, your heart. So what is your heart chasing today? Where does it go when, when chaos surrounds you? Where does it go when anxiety has risen? Where does it go when the stress of life has kind of choked out some of the things that you're going through? Where does it go when life has been kind of easy, where you're kind of in cruise control, and you're not really thinking about anything else? Where does your heart go? Is it, is it about yourself? Is it what others think? Or is it what God wants for you? In Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon, one of David's sons, he writes this, he says, Above all else, guard your heart, protect your heart, defend your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. See, our hearts have an impact on everything, everything that we do, our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions. It is the source of of everything that we do. And God is saying, I want that. I want your heart. I want it to be in sync with mine so that that you can be the blessing that I called you to be. So where's your heart? In, in, In God's kingdom and even within the chaos of life, whether good or bad, whether healthy or not, where is your heart? It's a question that I have to ask myself. It's a question that I have to think about. And am I guarding it? Am I guarding it like David did out tending sheep at a young age? He certainly wasn't perfect. I mean, we, we know this. We, if you As you learn more about David, you know, he did not make the best decisions in life. But early on, he had a foundation. And that foundation was the one thing that sustained him, and that was his heart after God. So I, I pray that today you consider that one question, where is your heart? What is it chasing? My hope is that it's chasing after God. I love you guys. Have a great week.